win the day. Somebody say win the day. Win the day. And it's a series that I've been teaching out of this book here by Mark Batterson. It is phenomenal. I have been enjoying it immensely. And I know that many of you have shared with me about last week how much you enjoyed um, the nuggets that were dropped and the, the wisdom um, that the Lord shared to us. And today it will be no different. We're going to be coming out of the book of Exodus 14. And I'm going to be teaching on the subject, Kiss the Wave. Somebody say, kiss the wave. Now, you should know there is a legend in Judaism about a man named Nashon. He only gets one begot in the Bible, but that's one more than me and you. So we still give him a lot of credit for that. He is the great, great, great grandfather of King David. He disappears almost as soon as he makes this debut, but Nashon is credited with saving the nation of Israel by one act of courage. Now, after their exodus out of Egypt, as you remember, the Israelites are trapped between a rock and a hard place. The Egyptian army and the Red Sea. No one knows what to do. There is no way out. That's when God issues a counterintuitive command. Tell the people of Israel, go forward. The problem with that was, there was no way forward. According to rabbinic tradition, this is when the leader of the tribe of Judah steps into the Red Sea. Nashon wades into the water like Aquaman. I added that part. And as he does, he keeps going until he is knee deep. Then he keeps going until he's neck deep. And the tradition says he goes all the way up to his nostrils. And that's when Moses parts the Red Sea in half. God is the one who makes a sidewalk through the sea, but it was Nashon who demonstrated the faith that it was going to happen. How? By wading in the water. The sea saw him, says, Psalms 114 and fled. And so there goes an old axiom, if you want to walk on water, first what? Got to get out the boat. There's one more. If you want to make God, if, if you want God to make a sidewalk through the sea, you have to wade into the water. Most of us spend a lot of our lives wading for the Red Sea to be parted. A lot of us spend a lot of time waiting for God to move. But what if maybe, just maybe, God is waiting on you to get your feet wet? What if God is waiting on you to show you believe him and to step out on faith and to begin to wade the water? Here's what I know for sure. 
If you want God to do the super, you have to do the natural. You have to take a calculated risk. You have to make a defining decision. You have to take a flying leap of faith. And that's all it takes for God to make a sidewalk through the sea. But first you have to kiss the wave. The first step is always the hardest step. Why? Because you have to overcome the law of inertia by exercising initiative. Now I'll tell you, every Monday morning when I get ready to go meet my trainer, when I hear that alarm clock go off, do you know what the hardest step for me? Not getting on any of the equipment, not lifting any of the weights, the hardest step for me is sitting up in the bed. Because I know that that is going to push forward all the other chain of events that are going to lead me to having this arm hurting again while I'm lifting the weights. It's the law of inertia. We have to take the first step. And that first step often feels the hardest. But do you know that when you take the first step, that's when God will reveal the second step? That's what Nashon does. You have to wade into the water, if necessary, right up to your nostrils. So if the Israelites are trapped between the Egyptian army and the Red Sea, and it seems like a no-win situation, death by sword or death by drowning, I want you to just put yourself in their sandals for a moment. Imagine. I love when I'm reading the Bible to not just read the Bible, to imagine and to picture what is happening. I mean, to picture the sounds of chariots and, and, and horses pursuing you. The Egyptian army is coming at full throttle. This is fight or flight. It says the people panicked. But this is also when leaders lead. This is when spirit-led leaders step up and stay calm and carry on. This is when spirit-filled leaders look to God, and that's who Moses is. That's what Moses does right in verse 13. Turn there if you would, because it says, fear not. Stand still, and you will see the salvation of the Lord which he will show to you today. The Lord will fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. So there's three points that I'm giving you before we close this morning. For those of you who are in our family online, go ahead and put this in the comments if you would, in YouTube and on Facebook. And for my note takers here in the house, get ready to write this down. Our thoughts this weekend as we kiss the wave is number one, face your fear. Number two, take your stand. And number three, hold your peace. Are you ready? Let's do that together. Step one, face your fear. Now, if you've got the Egyptian army coming at you full speed and it's fight or flight, Yet Moses says, fear not. 
What's the first thing going through your mind? Easier said than done, right? No doubt. But courage is not the absence of fear. Fear is a prerequisite. Fear is a prerequisite. The question is this, how do you manage fear in moments like this? According to psychologists, we were only born with two fears. One is the fear of falling. The second one is the fear of loud noises. Every other fear is learned. Which means every other fear can be unlearned. Faith is a process of unlearning fear. Faith is the process of unlearning fear. 1 John 4.18 says, perfect love casts out all fear. If you fear God, which we said in our last sermon series is the beginning of wisdom, and it means to hold God in the highest esteem, to revere God above all else. So if you fear God, you don't have to fear anything else. The fear of God is the cure of every other fear. Let me push the envelope a little bit more. Pick a fear, any fear. The cure for fear of failure is not success. The cure for fear of failure is failure. If you do it in small doses that build up an immunity to it, you need to identify the type of fear you're dealing with Fear of failure, fear of rejection, fear of intimacy, fear of the future, fear of certain social situations. You identify it and then you don't avoid it. You actually expose yourself to it in small enough doses that you build up some immunity to it. You wade in the water like Nashon. Nine times out of 10, failure is poorly managed success. And success is well-managed failure. Now, for some of us, one of the greatest things that could happen to us is for the thing we fear to actually happen because it will set you free. I can think of so many situations in my own life where there was this great fear and then I had to just confront that fear head on in order for that fear to what? To go away. Because I had to remind myself, and, and the one thing I often tell myself when I'm in fearful situations is, as long as after it's all over, I still have God. I've got everything I need. And since God said he would never leave me or forsake me, then I guess I've got nothing to be worried about. 
I mean, I put myself in the worst case scenario, and the worst case scenario is it's still me and God. Let me add one more thing to the mix. We are a community of faith. We eat faith for breakfast. We eat faith for lunch. We eat faith for dinner. The net result is we dream big. We pray hard. And we think long. We go after God-sized goals. We elevate and we activate each other's faith. And that creates a barrier against fear. One final thought about us facing our fears is all of us want a miracle. But none of us want to be in a situation that requires a miracle. But you can't have one without the other. Here's the good news. When you experience a setback, you do not take a step back because God is already preparing your comeback. What does God say to Moses in Exodus 14:4? For those of you who didn't catch it the first time I said it. I have planned this in order to display my glory. God is putting his glory on display one way or the other. What if we got in the habit of being backed up against the wall and saying, God, allow your glory to be displayed as you rescue me from this situation. God, let your glory be on display as you take me to the next level, as you get me across this barrier. Because I believe by faith that you have a plan of escape for me. And I'm believing and I'm standing in faith because I have unlearned fear because I have decided that I have put all my trust in you. Amen. Amen. Number two, stand your ground. The New Living Translation says stand still, as in be still and know that I am God. The NIV says stand firm, as in having done all to stand stand firm. The Amplify says, take your stand. The GNT says, stand your ground, whichever way you slice it. What is the hardest thing to do if the Egyptian army is coming at you full speed? Now, I need you guys to take a note here, because you know a lot of us, we get to, well, I ain't heard from God yet, so let me just go ahead and execute plan B. Executing plan B is the absolute worst thing you can do once God said, be still. Be still means be still. Wait on God means wait. Stand firm. Stand still. Stand your ground. Whatever translation you are reading out of this morning, what we get from that is, I can't do anything until God shows me what to do. I have no idea what thoughts are firing across the Israelite synapses as this is happening. But the mind of Moses, that is the one that I'm just thinking had to be just really, God, what do you want? 
when you're the leader, the leader of your home, the leader of your business, the leader of your team. One of the most intimidating things is having a bunch of people looking at you, asking you, what's next? What should I do? And you're still waiting to hear from God. But if there's one thing that I've learned and I've taken great notes from my husband, you don't need to be ashamed to say, I'm still waiting to hear from God. You don't have to make something up. You don't have to go grab everybody's earrings and make golden calves. You can stand firm and say, I'm still waiting on God. Where do we go? What do we do? I wonder if he was having a flashback of the burning bush. He asked God the question, who am I? Do you remember that? And I love the way God answers the question by not answering the question Moses asked, but answering the question Moses should have asked. God says, I will be with you. That's all we need to know. So no matter what it is you're picturing right now, no matter what it is your fear is trying to encroach upon you, no matter what the situation is that's waiting for you on Sunday at 11 o'clock when you get dismissed from here, do you know God will be with you? Amen. Amen? And Moses says, stand still. And these are the moments when we discover who we are and who God is. That's why I think it's so important that we capture that. I've been in situations where I know that I've witnessed it, I've seen God do it in other people's lives, and sometimes we're thinking about jumping in because we want to be helpful. We don't want to see somebody go through something. And they're in a place where they need to go through that because this is where they know who they are and they get to know who their God is. This is a time where God gets to answer their prayer and God gets to lead them and God gets to speak to them. And we do them a disservice when we jump in and try to play God. This is so counterintuitive that it ranks right up with something General Anthony McAuliffe said to the American troops when they were surrounded by the enemy at the Battle of Bulge. It says, men, we have the greatest opportunity ever afforded an army. We can attack in any direction. Now, if you know the history, you know that at this particular moment, they were surrounded. Now, remember last week when we talked about flip the script? This is a perfect example of flipping the script. You're surrounded by armies. But the perspective is we're in a great position now because we can tack in any direction and pick a direction you choose. This is kissing the wave. In crisis situations, we have to go back to ground zero, back to the foot of the cross. I make a beeline to the empty tomb. I go back to the promises I can stand on. He who began a good work is going to carry it to completion. 
He is watching over his word to perform it. He is working all things together for my good. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Remember I said last year, last week, that scripture is our script cure? If we could go back to the tomb, if we could go back to the scripture, if we can go back to the promises and begin to remind ourselves in this term, in this time of crisis, what God has already promised us and stand on those promises. If we can begin to just sing the good hymns, great is thy faithfulness, and begin to remind ourselves of who God is in our lives. We go back to the daily spiritual disciplines. Why? The only ceiling on our intimacy with God and our impact on the world, world is daily spiritual disciplines. Daily spiritual disciplines. I can't even begin to elaborate. I was um, listening to a book and it was talking about a whole bunch of different people who have become successful in whatever their chosen field is. And the common denominator is always their disciplines, their daily rituals, their daily routines, the things that they do over and over again to become better at it that other people aren't willing to put the work in to do. What if as Christians we put in the work for spiritual discipline? The work that other people aren't willing to do. Stay grounded in his word. Press in and pray through. That's how you stand your ground. Having done all to stand, you stand. You fight one more round. We have a, a core value that I like to say. If you stay humble and stay hungry, there's nothing God cannot do in you or through you. That's how we stay in our lane. That's how we stay the course. The most underestimated kind of power is staying power. I don't know if you caught that. I mean, it's the most underestimated power, it's the most underrated power, it's the most undiscovered power, it's staying power. Just keep on staying. Just keep on standing. It's long obedience in the same direction. It's the cumulative effect of faith hope and love. It's compound interest in praying and fasting. I began to think, you come to a place in life, and I don't know if this came with wisdom or age or just spiritual growth, but you come to a place in life when you're willing to wait on what it is you know you want. I used to, you know, Sunday, Chick-fil-A is closed. So you got to go to McDonald's if you want a chicken sandwich. And you know, it's not quite on par with the Chick-fil-A one. So I get the southern chicken sandwich, and it doesn't work if it's already on the warmer. The trick is you have to say, I want it made fresh. So I tell them, I want it made fresh, 
and I want hot fries, I know it'll be six minutes, I'll pull around and wait. I place my order like that. You don't even have to tell me. You don't have to try to discourage me that it's a six minute wait. I got the time. I'll be over there at lane two waiting on this hot fries and these hot sandwiches. Now, if you're in a rush, you ain't gotta go through all that. You can just pull in, get what you get, and then keep on going. But I have accustomed myself to understand sometimes it's better to just wait. Now, if we can apply this to the McDonald's drive-through line, I know there's some things that we know we are believing God for, we're waiting on God to do, and there's a temptation in our mind to go ahead and just come up with a plan B, to come up with a quick fix, to just take whatever is available at this moment. But what if you could train yourself? Come on, y'all, this is a spiritual discipline. So many people cannot do this. They have to have instant gratification. Whatever you can give me now. I don't care if something better is coming along the lines. Give me what you can give me now. And you will miss your blessing. If you don't believe me, remember Jacob and Esau. How do you kiss the wave? You ground yourself in the word of God. You anchor yourself to the promises of God. Did you catch that? Anchor. I'm not moving until I see what God promised me. But you also embrace the pain and suffering that comes along with that decision to wait. You gotta learn the lesson and cultivate the character. You're probably familiar with these five stages, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. And let me add one more to the mix. According to David Kessler, there is a sixth stage. It's called meaning. Meaning. And it's taken from a quote by Frederick Nietzsche that says, he who has a way, a why to live can bear almost any how. He who has a why to live can bear almost any how. When I read that, I thought about something someone had shared with me one time. I was at a, a conference and they asked us all and I'll ask you, if there is a building and it is a skyscraper and I were to take a wood plank and lay it from one building at the top of a skyscraper to another building at the top of a skyscraper, would you walk the plank to get from one side to the other? Everybody said no. They said, what if we paid you a million dollars to do it. Some people started saying, well, the rest of us were like, it's a capital no. But then guess what she asked us? What if the building was on fire and your daughter was in that building? Instantly, it went from no to capital no to 
How do I get to the top floor? The why changes everything. The why changes everything. I went from, I don't even think about it, there's no amount of money you can pay me to, what do I need to do? What does that tell us about ourselves? If our why is strong enough, there's a lot we can overcome. Last point, number three, hold your peace. Somebody say, hold your peace. This one was really a powerful example I discovered. There's an ancient tradition that is practiced in Orthodox churches called Pass the Peace. It actually traces back to the Sermon on the Mount. If you're offering a gift and realize you're at odds with someone, go and be reconciled. Now that's how you counteract racial tension. That's how you counteract political polarization. You interrupt the pattern. You love your enemies. You pray for those who persecute you. Novel concepts, huh? You bless those who curse you. And when we pass the peace, heaven invades earth. But let me back up one step. It's really hard to pass the peace if you don't learn how to hold your peace. Let's be honest, lots of us have learned that peace is not important. And we've lost this peace. One third of Americans struggle with anxiety or depression. How do we get it back? How do you hold your peace? when it seems like the world is spinning off its axis, when the train is going off its tracks. As those who follow the Prince of Peace, we stay calm and carry on. We are a people who rebuke the wind and the waves. We are a people who say to the storm, peace be still. We don't take offense, we play offense. We don't react, we pro-act. How? As grace givers and peacemakers. And when we do, we shift the atmosphere. How do you hold your peace? One way you do it is by owning your past. If you don't own the past, the past owns you. You cannot change the past, but you can learn from it. Then you bury it six feet deep. I don't know what you need to bury this morning, but it's time to kiss the wave. I really began to think about this in terms of building altars. You know, sometimes we've got to just build an altar to remember what it is that God has delivered us from and bury that thing there. Stop going back, stop looking back, stop wishing I would've, I could've, I should have. The reality is we cannot go back. But as we kiss the wave, we are leaning into the reality that whatever is coming at me is coming at me. 
and I can overcome it. I am more than, more than an overcomer through Christ Jesus. So we are empowered and we have a Holy Ghost boldness that we have to reactivate in order to be able to accomplish and do the things that God is able to do. Time out for us shrinking away at everything that comes our way, letting it redirect our course. Oh, I can't do this because I thought I could do all things through Christ, who was my strength. Well, this is never going to work because the devil is a liar. Unlearn the fear that he has placed in your heart by remembering the faith that you have in your heavenly father. The message this week is pretty simple. If you want to kiss the wave, you have to face your fear. You have to stand your ground and you have to hold your peace. There is nothing easy about those three things. They're easier said than done, no doubt. I love what happens next. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites, go forward. I'm not sure what step of faith you need to take this week. I do know this. The first step is the hardest step. You have to overcome the law of inertia by exercising initiative, and you have to overcome your fear by exercising faith. If you need marriage counseling, it's hard to wade into the water. If you're losing weight, it's hard to wade into the water. If you're training for a marathon, if you're hoping to resolve conflict in your home or in your workplace, it's hard to wade into the water. The first step is always the hardest step. But if you want God to do the super, you have to do the natural. If you want God to make a sidewalk through the sea, you have to wade the water and kiss the wave. As I close, there are two types of people in the world, plotters and plotters, and I believe that you can't really tell why I'm saying it, so I have to spell the difference. Plotters, P-L-O-T-T-E-R-S, with two T's, and plotters, P-L-O-D-D-E-R-S, with two D's. Plotters are those people who see the far-off future. They have vision beyond their resources. They set God-sized goals. They dream the unthinkable and attempt the impossible. I admire the plotters with the two T's, but I tell you who I admire even more. Plotters with two D's. These are the people who get up every morning and win the day. They stay humble and they stay hungry. Things are not always in their favor. Obstacles are put in their path, but they stay in their lane, they stay the course, they do not give up, and then they win. Nashon was the saint patron of plotters. What if he stopped after stepping into the water? That didn't work. And turned back around. What if after he put his big toe in, he said, oh, this water's too cold. 
and turned back around. We quit too soon. We give up too easily. Let's fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. For the joy that was set before, he endured the cross. He didn't give up. Neither should we. In the, in the words of today's sermon title, we have to kiss the way. Come on, let's pray. Father, I thank you that you didn't give up on us. I thank you, Father God, that you came up with a way for us to be redeemed. I thank you that you sent your only begotten son that we might have life and have it even more abundantly. I thank you for our eternal life. I thank you for the things you want to do through our lives as we still inhabit this earth. And I thank you for the courage that you fill us with to be able to boldly go forth and accomplish those things to put your glory on display. God, I know you want to do miracles. And God, we're no longer dodging the circumstances that would allow your miracle to take place. God, have your way in our lives. Give us the courage. Give us the boldness. Give us the ability to stand on your promises and to stand on your word so that we can accomplish everything, not only that you desire to do through us, but the things that we have communicated are the desires of our heart. Oh, Lord, be with us when we're faint. Be with us when we're weary. Be, be with us when the army is closing in on us on every side. Be with us when it looks like there's no way of escape and that there's no hope and that maybe we should just throw in the towel. And remind us, oh God, remind us of your promises. Remind us of your power. Remind us of what you have done. Remind us of your word. And remind us that you are able to do it again through us. These blessings we ask in your holy and sacred name. Amen.